0: Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to jump on and make this super quick, but I wanted to let you know that with the holidays coming up, Cassia and I, who is a doula on my team, by the way, we have put together this incredible webinar for you. It's called grieving through the holidays. It's a 17 minute webinar that you can get in video format, audio format, And you have access to a 20-page guidebook that serves as a workbook but also has the transcript for the webinar and some extra information it covers things like coping during the holiday season setting goals scripts for talking to people about miscarriage or answering their nosy questions journal prompts a, a deep dive into triggers and so much more you can get this for $15. It includes the audio, the video, and the guidebook, and you can access this or learn more if you'd like to by visiting the link in today's show notes. Okay, let's get into the episode. listening to Miscarriage Stories with Arden Cartrett. Sarah, I'm so excited to have you on today because you are one of my first friends in the miscarriage community, and we've been friends offline for, what, three years, even though I always joke with my friends, in the miscarriage community that I've never seen their knees, but I know their deepest, darkest traumas. It's (laughs) really true because I've met so many amazing people, but like, I've never had the chance to hug you in person. Although one day I hope, you know, obviously we had a pandemic in between meeting, but it's just amazing the friendships that can be made in this community. And so whenever you said that you were ready to share your story, I would I loved nothing more than to give you that platform because, um, I, I know that you've been a really big support to me, even as somebody who's gone through loss, it's like, you always know the right things to say and you always validate really well. And you also are like, man, that sucks. And you just kind of sit in it with whatever your friend is going to, uh, going through. And so, um, I know I appreciate you and I appreciate you being here and being willing to share your story.
1: Oh, I'm excited to share my story and. I feel all of those same things for you. It is, um, it's this a unique friendship that we formed, you know. And um, mm-hmm. you were with me through all of these. Um, I was actually thinking back to when, like, I still remember seeing your name on emails um, before we ever talked, and I like thought your name was so unique and cool. And I remember you going through your miscarriage, and then when I went through mine like I knew you were the perfect person to reach out to so it's just really cool how we came together and I mean it's sad obviously but I feel like we've both um grown a lot
0: oh yeah I we're like different people in a sense um in some ways I, I like to say I'm a better person I would like to think but it really sucks of how we got here and you saying that makes me think of um So meeting you because we met through your work and I had not been pregnant yet. I think you reached out to me and I was pregnant. And then I had to send you an email and say, oh, I'm miscarrying. So I can't do what we were talking about doing. And I remember being like, this person's going to think I'm making up a miscarriage, like to get out of doing something work-related. And I I remember feeling so silly that I was like, yes, I'm pregnant. I'm six weeks and I would love to work with you. And then being like, "Mm, I'm miscarrying. And, and then you still like, you checked in, even though we weren't friends yet, you know, we were trying to work together and, um, you were just, you were always so thoughtful and so sweet and it's, it's meant the world since the very beginning.
1: I'm so glad to hear that. I do think with, with work, you know, it was interesting. I work for a supplement company that makes fertility supplements. And back then, you know, I, I thought I understood what mm-hmm. women were going through. So I'm glad to hear I was really yeah. sensitive and continued reaching out because now I obviously feel like the silver lining to all this is that I'm able to connect on such a different level through work with people. Um, and I didn't get it. <laughs> I mean, I you know, everyone tries to be empathetic to a situation they've never been through and, and understand, but you'll never understand it till you're going through it yourself. Um, but yeah. I remember
0: you being afraid of having fertility struggles because you had some health stuff before. And so I remember you mentioning that you had that empathy because of that fear in your own fertility uh-huh. journey that you and your husband had not been trying to conceive yet. and So you didn't know what the future held. Um, and so I wonder, and you're, I know you're going to get into your story, but I wonder if in a way you felt like, Oh, I kind of felt like this was coming and yeah. you felt maybe prepared through work. I, I don't know if that is accurate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking back to like, why did I think I was going to have a hard time conceiving? Like, yeah. One, I've always had really, really horrible periods, um, like, like really bad, and they changed over the course of my life. You know, started out really heavy, really painful, and then I remember getting to a point where I was basically not bleeding at all, but had excruciating pain. And I went to some naturopaths, some acupuncturists, and whatever happened, like brought the floodgates on and it like period was really heavy again like I remember starting when my husband and I first started dating and like it was early in our relationship and I was bleeding so heavy I couldn't get off the toilet yeah and so like there were just things that I felt like like this isn't normal right um right. I was missing like one day of work a month because my camping was so bad and. I went to my OBGYN at the time and I for sure thought I had endometriosis. And so, and you know, I'm sure a lot of other women can empathize that like they didn't seem to really care that I was in pain or had Mm -hmm. really heavy bleeding. And I had to really advocate for myself and push for testing. I know we had done like an ultrasound And that was the first time I heard that I had a slight heart-shaped uterus and my OBGYN at the time had told me, you know, just a heads up that sometimes, you know, when your uterus is shaped like this, um, you can have multiple miscarriages and that just stuck with me. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I've always thought that, um, and we did, you know, an exploratory surgery for endometriosis and they didn't find anything. So then I was just kind of left like, well, we don't know. Um, and it was around that time I started working at Fairhaven Health. And so I took some of our supplements to kind of help. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that dogs! Um So I took some supplements. I took some supplements to restore uh, my hormonal balance and see if that would help, um, which that did. And then that's kind of when I got off birth control. Like I also always had a lot of issues with birth control that I didn't feel good or I had migraines. And so like my reproductive history was just kind of a bit of a mess, I would say. Um, But then I started tracking my fertility, um, not to try to conceive, just to, you know, learn about my cycle um so I just always thought it would be hard and um and then it was (laughs) um
0: and that's where you start to think like was this my intuition the whole time yes I remember always having a fear of infertility like from the beginning of trying to conceive I had the thought of like well if infertility is going to happen to somebody it's going to happen to me and then almost not being surprised but I, I i i now know um whenever we first started our friendship and talking about our periods and cycles that i related to a lot of what you were experiencing because i've always had really heavy periods i would be on the verge of like passing out like i'd be visibly sweating from the pain at any job that i had and um most of the time i worked jobs in retail which were not very kind to let me sit down or like not have a day where I was working. And so I relate to that so hard. And I'm, I'm still, I mean, two miscarriages, two living children later, and I still have never been taken seriously for endometriosis or any of my periods or anything like that. It's really, they just want to mask it and think, well, let's just get you a a baby. And then we don't have to worry about the pain you're in. And it's really interesting. Sad.
1: Yeah, I know. Um. So I guess with that, I'll just
0: yeah jump right in. Start it
1: off. Um. So in no, I'm not gonna say. Oh yeah, in years. Um, in 2019, I was I just turned 33, and um, my husband and I decided it was time to start trying, and um, and the very first cycle we were pregnant and I just remember thinking oh my gosh I was so wrong about my prediction like here I am I mean like and we weren't even really trying you know like I was tracking my cycle just because that's what I did but it wasn't yet where I was like oh I'm about to ovulate let's time it here like we were trying to take the more casual approach you know as some people do when they start and um and I distinctly remember I got my first positive pregnancy test it was like a Saturday morning. And I was going wine tasting with a, like, I think, five or six of my close girlfriends. And so my one of my best friends was picking me up. And I had her walk in the house. And I had the pregnancy test just on the island in the kitchen and like her face just complete shock. And then um, it was just that was like that one moment I got to experience that carefree, excited, I'm pregnant. So I got, we had to drive like an hour to meet the other girlfriends and I've always been really, really open. So, um, sure wine tasting kind of affected me having to say, Hey guys, I'm not going to wine taste. I'm going to watch all of you for my birthday. Um, but I'm pretty open so my I mean I probably would have told them all anyways and so told them I was pregnant and then by the end of the afternoon I experienced spotting. So immediately that like it was less than 24 hours where I had a carefree I'm pregnant experience and so I started spotting um and it just it continued 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 and at the time I had just found a new primary care doctor, and so I had um, called them. Um, they didn't seem like they were willing to do any HCG testing, and because of my my work experience, like I knew all the things that I could do, and so I just immediately was I'm moving on. So I called like our private OBGYN office here, and. They got me in right away. They were wonderful. Um, It was the first time I'd ever had a male doctor too, um, which comes full circle in the story, but he was wonderful. Um, He was a doctor I'd actually heard of that kind of had an interesting bedside manner. Some people loved him, some people like did not. And um, from the moment I met him, he was so kind and compassionate. And they did HCG testing, things weren't looking great. Um, But of course, like, HCG isn't the end-all be-all, you know, so they were still trying to be cautiously hopeful. Um, They brought me in at six weeks and we did not see a heartbeat and the um, embryo looked, something wasn't looking right. They didn't go into too much detail, but like the shape um, wasn't looking right, but they wanted to be a hundred percent sure. So they sent me home for a week, had me come back and very clearly, you know, at seven weeks, still no heartbeat and, um we decided to do a DNC because it looked like it could be a molar pregnancy. It was, it was suspect of that. So, um, we did the DNC. Um, and you know, at this point in time, like I was sad, but I also felt like it was early. it, It was, something didn't form correctly this time. Like it didn't feel, I just didn't have the, the expectation that anything bad would happen again. Um, so, you know, as most women can relate, like there was no further testing done on me. Um, they did test the embryo. Um, it was not a molar pregnancy, but they didn't do any um, other genetic testing on it. Um, so just kind of said, try again. Um, I do remember my OBGYN had me come back about a week after my DNC. And I thought it was going to be like a check and see how I'm healing. And it was the same male doctor. And he brought me in just to check on me to see how I was doing. And I I'm guessing that's the practice in the OBGYN office, um, which is wonderful. I mean, I, I was so shocked to have him sit me down and say, like, I'm like, okay, am I, are you checking me out? What are we doing? And he's like, how are you? I just want to check in emotionally. Like, it just totally caught me off guard. And I think it was one of the first times I was really able to cry kind of outside of just, my husband and my close friends and it was just so sweet and kind. And, um, so then, um, they said, okay, start trying again. So that, um, so that was in June of 2019 that I had, um, gotten pregnant and then July I had the DMC. Um, so then we started trying again and again, I got pregnant fairly quick. I think it was just, a couple handful of cycles. Um, because I think we didn't start trying immediately after I, I wanted to recover, you know, wait for my period to come back. So we conceived again in February of 2020. Um and I mean I was cautious and nervous and all those emotions that you have. And at first things were seemingly good, which I guess. To me, anything was good that just wasn't spotting. <laughs> um, and then the spotting started. So um, once again, I was going in for HCG blood work. Again, it wasn't doubling like we expected in the time frame. Um, but from what I remember, it wasn't as drastic as the first time. So it felt like there was maybe a little bit more chance something was was going to work. Um, So went in for the six-week appointment. And this one was harder because like there was a tiny bit of movement, but they were thinking that it was my heartbeat that we were detecting on the baby, not the baby's heartbeat, but they couldn't be sure. So... It felt like even more unsure. Um, so once again, I had to wait another week. Um, and I just remember going out into the waiting room and us running into people that we knew. and my husband takes a he's much more of an optimist in these situations, which is a blessing and a curse, I think sometimes for me. Um, and you know, just that awkward seeing someone and, and I'm feeling like it's over. There's no way this is actually going to happen. And, and he's more hopeful and just that horrible experience of like, what do you say to these people in the waiting room? So I empathize with anyone that has gone through that experience. It's awful. Um, I still think they should have a separate waiting room for those of us that have gotten bad news.
0: Uh, it's like a back door. Uh, yes. I had my first loss, my fertility doctor, like walked us around to a back door that way we wouldn't run into anybody with, uh, good news, even at a fertility clinic where there's that's, like more bad news than good news. So that is
1: that should be a practice that everyone adopts. I think that that is so caring.
0: Um, and I do want to add about, um, cause I remember with your second miscarriage, you texted me because I, I remember waiting to hear how your first ultrasound went, um, and then uh, I mean every ultrasound. And I remember you texting me saying it's another loss. And I remember asking, well, like, what did they say? What and you were like, well, we're coming back in a week. And so I was like, well, maybe <laughs> like I, I was trying to be optimistic for you, even though that's I'm not an optimistic person for myself. And so it's so funny to know that your husband was so positive, like during that time, because I remember you immediately texting me saying it's another miscarriage. Yeah. Like no second thought about it just it's yes. another loss it's
1: just like you know
0: oh yeah you do you, you know, know it doesn't look the way it's supposed to
1: yeah like it just and I think at that time I would rather be surprised in a week if something's totally. around versus having too much hope I mean thank god I I, I will talk more about this later I'm sure but like I think I was, it's like that denial of like, it's so hard to balance finding hope with Mm -hmm. your complete heartbreak. But I, over the course of my journey, like I really felt like the more I honored my fear and I acknowledged that I was scared or um, heartbroken, like it allowed for a little bit more hope to come in. Like it was just, really interesting to me that the instead of like hiding it all down um pushing it down the more I acknowledged it the easier it was to find space for both I guess Um, yeah
0: well I think that some of it is like we want to think whenever bad news happens at least for me I wanted to be like see I knew all along it was not gonna wasn't gonna work out because I didn't want to look Stupid. Yeah. you know, I didn't want to look like yeah. I had hope, and then I was blindsided and in front of everybody, which everybody is what my doctor and my husband, yeah. you know, I remember well, feeling that, like I just didn't want anybody to think I was too hopeful,
1: yes. And so I think we talked about this too, like the I felt like the girl who cried pregnancy,
0: like absolutely, yeah,
1: because I'm just I, I'm just such an open person, and I like, I told all my close friends, and to be honest, I have like an odd number, like a, a <laughs> lot of close friends. And so it was kind of like a job to like tell all my friends that I was pregnant and then tell them that I was miscarrying. But like for me, that support was so helpful. Um, but I did still feel like the girl who cried pregnancy. Like it just almost yeah. felt embarrassing to have to tell people by my third one. Um, that it was, you know, I just such a strange feeling. It's hard to explain. Um, uh, But so yeah, so I went back in at seven weeks, and we confirmed there was no heartbeat. Um, So I decided to do a DNC since I'd already done one, like, for me, going under an anesthesia, like, I'm just like my dad. We snap right out, like it's no big deal for me. So, like knowing that I didn't have to experience something different of a natural miscarriage, like I was really scared to experience that. Um decided to do a DNC because I definitely wanted to do genetic testing. Um so we did that and baby was genetically normal, and we found out that it was a baby boy and that was really hard for me. I I remember our doctor calling. This time I had a different doctor. Who, she's she's also wonderful there. Um, and I just remember her calling. My husband and I were driving back from the park with the dogs. I like can remember the exact spot on the road where we were that we got this call. And she let us know that um, everything looked normal. And then she's like, "Do you want to know? If it was a boy or a girl?" And like I kind of paused and my husband, like, yes, I do. And, um, like we hadn't, we hadn't even had that conversation, you know, like, I don't know, you know, you're processing so many things, like I didn't even consider it. And so in the moment I said, okay, you know, like I went along with it and and I am glad that I did. Um, it was just really hard to hear. It just made it feel so much more real. Um, and So then, you know, she offered, like, we could do some basic testing. Um, If you want to see a fertility specialist, you know, we can refer you to someone. And and I just, I knew, I knew I needed to go see a fertility specialist. Um, I didn't want to experience that again. Um, So we went, we were referred to a fertility clinic where I live. There actually now is one I just one um, just went in right by our my office Um, so that's great that our city now has a fertility specialist but at the time they didn't so we had to go an hour and a half south to a fertility specialist so we went um, to her and kind of did the the basic miscarriage workup blood work um, Basically anything they offered to us, I said yes, yes, yes. Let's do it all. Um, and my husband did testing. We decided not to do a semen analysis for him analysis for him because we did get pregnant fairly quickly both times, very quickly the first time, and because we knew the second embryo was normal. Like we didn't yet feel like there was anything. To be concerned with on his end. Um, and we had him I had him on supplements from my work that like if there was something wrong, we're already working to address it. So I just didn't feel like it was necessary. So, um, we did that blood work, did some progesterone testing. Of course, the cycle we tested by progesterone ended up being short and weird. and so my progesterone was low, but it was an odd cycle and we could have tested another cycle, but it just—we just decided let's just add progesterone in because there's no harm. Um, and we did an HSG um, because I—I I knew my uterus was potentially, you know, heart-shaped. Something could be going on, so we did that HSG. Um, and no, no, no not an HSG. I wrote that down on my notes and I crossed it out. It was a hysteroscopy.
0: I um, love that you wrote it down, crossed it out and still said it. <laughs> still said it.
1: Yes. I really, yeah. Um, so we did that and we saw that I had a heart-shaped uterus, but it was really minor. So my doctor was like, well, we have a couple options. Like, I don't think that that is impacting your ability to get pregnant like the the concern with having a heart-shaped uterus is the part like the, the the top of the heart where it's a little dipped could be thicker so if the embryo attach in this thick section there might not be enough blood flow but mine was not it just wasn't severe and so she asked a couple other doctors at the clinic and it seemed to kind of be like some thought oh no harm in doing it, but maybe not necessary. And some said, Oh, I wouldn't do it. And they're just, there wasn't a clear path. And so I, you know, we decided I really wanted to be kind of methodical about my approach. Like I didn't want to have another miscarriage of course, but I didn't want to have unnecessary surgery either because there's risks with scar tissue and those sorts of things. So you know, you're just weighing the decisions on what, what you should do. Um, but we decided that since I was going to add progesterone in that maybe that was all it was. And so that could help. So we, she, we also decided to add letrozole in looking back on that. I don't even know why I did that. Like we got pregnant fast. Why do we need lexazole? Um, I just kind of went along with it and um, I, mean, I don't know. I just don't think I needed it, but I was so like, I wanted to get pregnant so quick that I was willing to like try anything to increase our chances. So um, we did that. And I think after two or three cycles, we conceived again. Um, I started progesterone right after ovulation. Um, so there's a lot I remember my doctor saying, you know, we can start the progesterone after ovulation uh, or you can start it once you get a positive pregnancy test. And I will tell every single person I can, start it after you ovulate. That's the only study that is out there that shows success with progesterone. There's like no harm in starting it earlier and didn't want to start it too late. And I just remember like she had told me on one end I could start it after ovulation and then you know, later on, she's like, Oh, just start it once you get a positive pregnancy test. And I just remember being so annoyed and frustrated, like, no, I'm starting it after I ovulate. I, yeah, I,
0: know that I totally agree. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I did that. Um, and this time I had no spotting. I had symptoms, um, not like Super, super nauseous, but like I hadn't really experienced any nausea, nausea before. And so this time I definitely was experiencing that. Um so things were looking good. And I was feeling, I mean, of course, still afraid, but I was everything was telling me at this time it was different. So we went down, I think we went at seven weeks this time. Um, so we had to, you know, make the hour and a half drive. Um, and this was during COVID. So I'm trying to think now, um, this, yeah. So I remember, maybe you remember this too, that I, they weren't going to allow my husband to come back for the ultrasound. And I was a complete mess. Um,
0: I totally remember that because I remember telling you, tell them that you've had a history of loss and that this is like, it's, you know, ultrasounds are really scary and trying to push for it.
1: Yes. Which I did push for it. Thanks to you, um, called my nurse and, you know, um, and then she called back and she's like, I talked to your doctor and yes, like, of course your husband can come. Um, against policy right now but we totally understand that for your mental health he needs to be there and I just I just remember hearing story after story during that time of other women not having that same courtesy and it's just devastating that anyone would have to go through that alone and
0: or stress about it like yes yes I I feel like and and I also should add in here that you and I are are both we were very like you know we were offering to put a like double or triple masks that that would make them feel better. Like that you, you know, were very safe. It wasn't that you were trying to go against their policy to be difficult. It was like, literally for your sanity, you needed to have that support. And, you know, all of the protocols and stuff in place that we are supportive of, it's still like people who are giving birth and pregnant and going through fertility struggles, going through that alone is such an added trauma that I feel like there was something that we could have like, given up instead of that you know what I mean it's just a, yes. it's such a difficult thing
1: it's so difficult so I and I remember when the nurse called me back and she said he could come I like burst out crying and yeah just, it's such a relief and you just don't realize how terrified you are I mean you know you're terrified but then like once I realized that he's going to be there like this just relief came over me and so we went to the appointment and um seven weeks and and I remember really nervous and my doctor um she's like well have you been feeling nauseous and like yes and have food aversion she's like that all sounds so good and so she was so hopeful and and then we did the ultrasound and there was no heartbeat and I just I I just I can remember sitting in that room like oh my gosh like I cannot believe this is happening again I cannot believe it and, and then all the fears of like, this is ever going to happen. And I mean, I had those fears before, but now they're like really amplified, you know? Um, yeah. And it was around Thanksgiving too. I remember this it was like the most depressing Thanksgiving that we've ever had. And, um, so we scheduled a DNC, um, and then discussed, okay, so here we are, third miscarriage. Like maybe it's time we opt to do that surgery on my uterus, even though we don't think we need to. So so it's like I have the hysteroscopy. This would be a surgical hysteroscopy.
0: Um, and you're missing a part of your story of the heavy bleeding that you had for a long well, that's, time before, or is that out. after? Yes. Okay. Okay. I didn't yes. want you to miss that because yes. to, like, that is still so clear to where nobody oh was listening to you. Okay. Yes. Sorry. I didn't mean to jump ahead no, in your no, no, story. No, I just it. didn't want you to miss it.
1: Yes. <laughs> so, um, so we have the DNC, um, in November and, and then. We had decided to schedule the surgery in my uterus for January, give myself time to heal and, you know, the holidays and everything. And so, and it was weird. I missed something though. I think it was my second miscarriage. My period just wouldn't come. That's why I didn't start trying for a couple months because my period was not coming. And I did progesterone, um, orally two rounds of it, nothing finally did the vaginal progesterone and it finally came. I just remember it was like so long and like frustrating hmm. to be stuck in that limbo. Um, so this time I had the miscarriage and we did get the, um, we did the DNC and it was another genetically normal embryo, which like, it sounds so weird to say that it was like, that wasn't the news I wanted. Um, yeah, I don't think that's you know, weird. Um, in, um, so yeah, so like we're talking about the fertility, specialist trying to figure out the next steps. Um, IVF didn't seem like an answer because she's like, you already have a genetically normal embryo. The last two have been like, if we put another genetically normal embryo in you, I don't know how we're going to, keep you pregnant so that was like really eye-opening and like scary and um and so the the next step was to try the surgery so I'm waiting for the surgery in January and in December out of nowhere I started bleeding and I started experiencing like heavy clots I remember texting you because I was freaking out Like, I think I passed between 30 and 40 large clots. Like, I remember one of them I had to push out. Like, I felt like I was giving birth.
0: It was like another miscarriage. Like, it wasn't, you weren't having a fourth miscarriage, but the bleeding was similar to if you had just miscarried at home. And I remember telling you that and you were like, this is intense and insane. And
1: yes, and the pain was excruciating. Yeah. and I was calling the fertility specialist, and, um, you know, I mean, they were, like, well, are you soaking through a, a pad? I'm, like, well, I'm pushing clots out, and then all this <laughs> blood comes out after. I don't know how much blood it is. Like, I don't, I can't gauge that. The clot is holding all the blood in, and so I just remember feeling really frustrated, and it was, like, well, you can come and have an ultrasound, but, like, it doesn't sound like you have retained tissues, like what they said to me. That like I so remember
0: I, you telling me that, and yes. I was like, "Are they insane?" It sounds exactly yes. like you have retained tissue. But were you on birth control? It was a progesterone-only birth control, yes. and they said it was the progesterone. And I kept telling you yes. that makes no sense because progesterone usually prevents bleeding from happening. So, like a progesterone-only birth control is not going to make you have Blood clots.
1: I totally forgot I was on birth control. I'm said that. <laughs> like I, I, because I have such bad reactions to birth control, I remember being worried, but like it was progesterone only. It was only gonna right. be for a month. Um, yeah, because they were saying, oh, if you had retained tissue, we would have expected you to see spotting or bleeding earlier than I did. Um, and so it was like, well, you can come down for an ultrasound if you want, but like my surgery was two weeks away. And so I'm like, okay, well, let's see how it does overnight. And then, and it was literally, I think it was like four or six hours and then it stopped. I mean, it was a really scary, rough four or six hours, but then it stopped. And I was like, okay, well, I do really want to drive an hour and a half to maybe not learn anything. Like if it happens again, I will absolutely go down there, but maybe we'll just wait for the surgery. So, um, So then I went in, in January of 2021 for the surgery on my uterus and, um, guess what? (laughs) There was a ton of retained pregnancy tissue. Like they showed me pictures. I know I sent them to you too. They
0: were really cool. They were really cool. (laughs) It wasn't cool that it was there for there to be a photo, but it was a really cool photo.
1: It was, there was so much in there, which is baffling because I know when they did the DNC that they check after to make sure they've like gotten everything. So like, how they're supposed to, right? Yes. (laughs) I guess we don't have proof. Uh, (laughs) And so it was just so embedded in my lining. My body was trying so hard to get rid of it. And so they got that out and then they shaved a couple millimeters centimeters I, don't I am know.
0: not sure um, tote millimeters yeah. Probably, yeah.
1: Um, of the my uterine lining and so like hearing that that I had retained tissue stuck so deep it just made me think that the surgery was so important one because thank God I would have had to have surgery anyways to remove all this because my body couldn't eliminate it itself but it just like made me think that something was going on with my uterine lining like if it couldn't if it was so stuck because the doctor said that it was really in there like when she was trying to cut it out like it was hard and so like it just made me feel like the surgery was a really good decision to do um you know fresh start thinner lining hopefully things will go better um and meanwhile during all of this I'm also like wanting more testing, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't want, I cannot go through this again. Like my husband and I were kind of hitting the point where, like, how many more of these can we go through? And, um, so I, I know, I know there's so much more testing we can do. Um, met, you know, I remember talking with, um someone else in the community who had done reproductive immunology testing and so I think you connected me with her and um, but that's like you have to go to New York or you know, um, you just have to jump through all these hoops to just find someone to do more testing for you, which is so frustrating. Um, and then silly me, like I have this like light bulb go off in my head that there's a amazing um he's a functional, functional, he has so
0: many titles, so (laughs) many titles,
1: acupuncture, functional medicine, um, Mark Sklar, um, who I work with at Fairhaven health. Um, and he does like what I love about him is like, he truly does not believe that there's unexplained infertility or unexplained reason for miscarriages. And so, Kind of along my my journey i had been reaching out to him just to like this is kind of my plan do you agree and he'd respond and like i don't know why it took me until three miscarriages to say hey mark does consultations like telehealth i could meet with him and so i reached out to him and he offered a lot of the blood work that i had been looking into um so I sent him all of my medical records um, and then did all this additional blood work. Um, I mean, and I will say it, it was expensive um, to get the blood work done. I learned some painful lessons with our insurance. Like um, I could have had more of it covered if I had had it filed differently, but um, Long story short, like I and I just I just wanted it done. Like I just wanted it done right away. And so I didn't spend the time I should have trying to figure out how best to deal with it with insurance. So ended up paying for it all out of pocket. But um so did that blood work and then we met with Mark and um and I and I had asked my fertility specialist that I had seen for my third pregnancy if she would do this testing and she would not. So at that time I kind of knew I was ready to cut ties um, them. So met with Mark, um, he went over like all the blood work we had done with our OBGYN and fertility specialists. And just like, kind of like, well, I want to make sure that we're on the same page, like, you know, X, Y, and Z, you have these issues. And so he, I remember him saying like, okay, so your MTHFR mutation. And I like just was taken back. Like I've not heard anything about this. So I had that testing done with my fertility specialist. Um and she never went over it with me. After so your
0: second loss?
1: After my third. Or after my second loss, right? Yeah, before we got pregnant again. We had done that testing. And so I mean, thank God I've been taking methylfolate in my supplements. But like, she never made sure I was taking methylated folate. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then Mark said, you know, there is some growing research that women who have an MTHFR mutation plus recurrent miscarriages have found benefit in taking a baby aspirin because, um, there could be some blood clotting issues with that. So I just remember feeling so upset that I could have been taking a baby aspirin for my third pregnancy like how simple is that it was like um but she never I don't know if she missed it I don't know if she thought it wasn't important like I'm not really sure I mean they test for it so there must be some steps they take if you do come up with a mutation um so I have to assume it was just an oversight um which is really unfortunate. Um, so then he also went over all the new blood work I had done and we, um, discovered I had some high levels of natural killer cells, which to be honest, like this, this test is debated in the fertility community. If it's real, I mean, we know that more and more Fertility specialists doing IVF are testing for natural killer cells with IVF cycles. So, like, why would they not think that could affect natural pregnancy is baffling to me. Um, But, um, and a couple other markers that just kind of indicated I maybe had um, some immune issues, um, autoimmune issues. And so he crafted a supplement plan, which it was a lot of supplements. I remember taking like 30 a day or something insane. Um, and a new diet. So it was like the AIP, which is the autoimmune paleo diet, which is extremely hard. I mean, I like couldn't eat anything. Um, but I will say like, it gave me something to do. Like, I felt like I was doing something for my health, something for my fertility. Um, I felt really good, um, even though I couldn't eat anything. Um, I take I could eat meat and vegetables and some fruit. And, um, but um, I did that for two or three months, pretty religiously. Um, and so then the plan was to try to conceive once we were ready. He didn't feel like we needed to do letrozole again. So like, I was totally on board with that. He wanted me to take progesterone again, starting right after I ovulated. So I contacted my OBGYN that I was at for my first two pregnancies and they were wonderful. Like, sure, we'll order you this progesterone if that's what your fertility specialist thinks that you should take. And, um, and so it just, was really easy to work with them and I was happy to be back with that care. Um so we conceived in April of 2021. Um and I continued taking all these supplements, took that baby aspirin. Um you know this was after my surgery too, so like I don't know what what helped. Something changed and so Um, so I do have it almost 11 month old baby boy now. Um, not so baby anymore. He feels so big, but, um, but of course, like it was a rough pregnancy to be honest. I mean, like I had scares, you know, like I had at five and a half weeks pregnant, like I had stream like a gush of bleeding, I remember texting you again, and you were very, like, hopeful and comforting, and I'm so glad you were, because, like, I was ready to, like, I thought I was miscarrying, like, immediately thought I was miscarrying, and
0: Um, And whenever I I was pregnant with Cameron, I had bleeding and it's funny that I can like be very like level headed for other people, because for me, I have a photo on my phone where I was like, I have to take a picture of me because I might be not be pregnant in five minutes from now. And I have a picture and I have tears in my eyes. I have absolutely no idea why I took this picture. And it was because I was bleeding and I was like, the world is ending. I'm miscarrying. So while I can be level headed for other people. I also have those those freakouts. <laughs> yes.
1: Totally freaked out. Um, emailed Mark right away and he called me and he was like, it sounds like it's probably the subchorionic hematoma. Um, you know, get into your doctor. I mean, he was great too. So like between you and him, I was like, okay, this is very different. Like it wasn't the dark spotting that I'd had. This was like a very different experience. And so I remember we were um. My husband had just quit his job. Um, and we were leaving on a trip to go visit his sister. And my OBGYN was able to fit me in. <laughs> my OBGYN was able to fit me in right before we left, but like it was it was six weeks. I was six weeks pregnant, or maybe I was like just under six weeks pregnant. So I was like, oh my gosh, we're not gonna see anything. Like, oh, this sounds awful to go into the doctor and like leave with no information. They just wanted to make sure that I wasn't having a ectopic pregnancy. Um, so we went in there and saw a heartbeat. And so like he was measuring a couple days ahead and I just like, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that this tiny little six week embryo had a heartbeat and it was so different from any experience we had had Um, and she could see the tech could see where it looked like I had the hematoma. Um, and so then like, I was able to go on this trip with a little bit more hope. Like I was still terrified. Um, of course experienced like another gush of blood on vacation and like, you know, we hadn't told anyone yet this time I I did approach things a little different. Like you knew, um, but I wasn't ready to tell my friends or my family, um, like all of a sudden I just felt like I needed this one to be more private. Um, and so we then went in at, then we had another trip planned. So I had to wait until like just after eight weeks to go in. Um, and, and, um, and it was, you know, Great. I mean, there there was the heartbeat again and and everything was was measuring ahead. And so I remember um then once like I mean, I knew anything could happen still, but I felt like we had passed the mark that we had with the other three. And so I remember we were doing a because it was still the pandemic, and so we were doing like a Zoom dinner with my parents who live in the same town as us, but then my sister and her boyfriend live Far away, and so we were doing a Zoom dinner, and I was like, Oh, I have something to send you guys, like, I want you all to watch it right away. And so I sent them a video of the little baby and his heartbeat. And um, so that was that was a good moment, you know. I think it's hard after the loss to feel excitement, like, I, you know, we'll never experience what someone experienced with the first pregnancy that went well, like, um. And it's sad, but that, it, that is our reality. Like there's just always this level of fear, um, that you're going to lose a baby again. Um, but I tried to find those moments of excitement, you know, and, um, uh, but I certainly struggled. I struggled throughout the pregnancy. I, um, every ultrasound, I mean, I feel like I was just, my heart was racing, um, My blood pressure was always really high, which then that became an issue down the, down in my pregnancy too, down the road. But, um, it was just hard. It was hard to stay hopeful. And like I used a Doppler and if I could never find the heartbeat, like it's hard to not spiral, but then I needed to hear that heartbeat. Like it was just, it was hard. It was hard to find the balance of, um, the balance of it all. Um, and then I feel like I got very lucky that I, um, was at this OBGYN office because they had seen like part of my reproductive history that I left out in the beginning was that I had, um, High risk HPV, and so they had done a couple surgeries. I mean, many, many, many years ago, um, like when I was in my early 20s, where they had to cut the tip of my cervix off. So they just happened to have this in their notes. Like I didn't even remember to tell them this, and so they thought, you know, I think it was at 16 weeks. They're like, let's just check your cervix, and my cervix was really open, like from the inside. I also hadn't realized that like an incompetent cervix, I don't know, I'm assuming that all are like this where it's opening from the inside. Um, But so they noticed right away, something was not going well. Um, And so they sent me to a MFM down back in Seattle. (laughs) I had to make that commute. Um, And they were wonderful. Um, They kept a close eye on my cervix. um, And we decided at about 20 weeks for that. I had to get a cerclage where they stitch your cervix shut. I had a really interesting case. They told me that my cervix was the most dynamic cervix they had ever seen because it would, like, if they were checking it with ultrasound, like, in one moment, it looked completely normal and fully shut. And then within seconds, it would be wide open. So, it's, mm-hmm. and it's a muscle. So, like, I guess. Like it's normal for there to be some variation, but they had never seen it vary that much. Um, so I guess that's kind of a cool fact about me that I have a dynamic surface. But you can um, add it
0: to your resume. Has yes. a dynamic surface.
1: <laughs> like so dynamic that when I went to get the circlage, the like it was at a it was at UW, which is a teaching hospital. So like in every stage of that day there's like all these students like it was like a party in every room that I was in getting the circlage, and like they have to look at it so they're looking at it so they can kind of assess you know how it's going to go and they didn't think I needed one because it was so closed and I was like wait just please wait
0: because watch it's my cervix.
1: Yes. <laughs> so she came back with a different doctor and then it was completely open the next time they checked. So they were like, Oh my gosh. Um, so I got the circlage, which was a pretty rough appointment. Um, I had to get an epidural, um, dare I say the circlage was maybe more painful than my labor. I think it was, um, but needed and you know, I wanted to get that in as fast as possible. Um, so got the cerclage in and kept taking progesterone. So I had taken progesterone vaginally until about um, 12 or 13 weeks and stopped. And then once we detected my, my um, incompetent cervix, they had me start taking progesterone vaginally. So like I essentially had to take progesterone vaginally for like 10 months. I was taking it, you know, before I got pregnant, um, for each cycle. So that was not fun to have vaginal <laughs> for that long. Um, and then I ended up getting, I had hypertension at the very end of pregnancy and preeclampsia, like the last day, um, when I was induced, but, um, but the full circle story is that the wonderful doctor I had for my very first miscarriage was the one there for the birth and
0: it's amazing
1: it was amazing like it was just I could tell it was really special to him too um just to know how far we'd come and so um yeah it was just quite a journey you know I mean everyone's journey is so different and some are even longer and um but but here we are after all that. Um, and, you know, it's so interesting, like, looking back on on the journey, there are definitely so many silver linings from it. Like, I, I don't wish it upon anyone, but um, I just, it's given me this whole new look at pregnancy and empathy. And, like, um, I have really enjoyed being able to talk to other women who are going through it. Um, Like I admire what you do so much, like really that should be my calling too. Like I, I, I,
0: Hey, come on board. Uh, I'd be lucky to have you, but you do, you, you do do that in some way because you're always like a go-to person. That is really great. Whenever I have clients who are going through a third miscarriage and they're like, what the hell do I do now? And you have been so open to meeting new people, which is really helpful for so many people. And then, um, you know, your experience with Mark was really great because it introduced me to Mark who, um, if when people heard you mention him, I did a podcast episode with him it's episode 62 um that people can listen to and we talk a little bit about you so now people if they listen to the episode and they're they hear me say my friend my friend is Sarah I just (laughs) didn't want to name her on another episode um so I mean you have you have used the crap that you've been through in so many really beautiful ways and I think you know working for Fairhaven Health they've been really lucky to have your crappy experience in a way mm-hmm. as, as kind of messed up as that is, because obviously you don't want to have to go through this, but they, yeah. um, you know, you have been a better employee. I mean, I yeah. see it from, from where I'm standing that you've been a better employee working for a fertility company. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to find somebody that has the empathy in a personal and professional environment.
1: Yes. Yeah. I feel like I remember like when I was in the thick of it, like my job felt like the biggest blessing and biggest curse. Like I felt like, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I would have found you or my community of other women. I just like, I've never been like a huge social media person. Maybe I would have naturally found that. Um, But like my, my close friends, At the time, none of them had experienced this. And so while they wanted to be there for me, it was just really hard because they didn't get it. And it's not that they didn't try, you know, but it's invaluable to have someone who has been through it too and can understand and validate what you're feeling. but i also felt with my job that like i just couldn't escape the world of infertility and miscarriage and um day in and day out like i you know work with influencers that are going through it and like it was just so hard but now like now i'm at a place where like it's so wonderful to connect with women in that way and um yeah, it just completely has changed my approach at work. And I mean, I also feel lucky that I worked there going through all this because like my bosses were so wonderful gave me all the space that I needed to, to take care of myself. And I think it made them all better. Like I was really open with all of my coworkers, um, about what was going on and, um, you know, I mean, we're, it's a unique group of people because we're in the fertility space. So even, um, all these men that maybe <laughs> wouldn't talk about it, like they're, they're just more comfortable than maybe your average man about, yeah. um, talking about cervical mucus or, <laughs> all these yeah. things, right. Um, but it felt really good for me to be able to share with my coworkers what was going on. And I know not everyone can or wants to have that experience, but, um, but I feel lucky that I was here. And like, I don't know that I would have found Mark necessarily if I hadn't been working at Fairhaven Health. Um, so I guess I, I think my recommendation to anyone that is experiencing infertility or miscarriage is to try to find people who have been through it. Um, like there's just no support like that. And then make sure you have a doctor that listens to you. and. Does not want to stop searching for what is wrong because I think um, it makes all the difference. It really does.
0: Totally does. And um, one thing about your OB that delivered uh, your son is I wonder if he had a personal experience. Yeah, I wonder if he that- ever open up about anything like that, because I wonder if it like yes. tugged on his heartstrings in a way that was personal, you know,
1: yeah, I don't even know if he has kids now that I think about it. Yeah, like, I don't know if he has kids or if they tried to have kids.
0: Um, Here we are. Yeah. And now I'm writing this story in my head of he wanted yeah. to have kids and never had got the chance yes. to. So now he's empathetic. Yes. Oh, what yeah. a, I mean, but what a gem of a man to have so much empathy because I mean, I have a male doctor that I absolutely loved, but he had no trouble conceiving and couldn't really understand right. why I probably seemed neurotic at times, you know. Yeah. Um I, I do think that there is a difference there. I mean, you experienced lack of empathy from a female doctor, and so yeah. that's yeah, somebody you would think would get it.
1: I wonder like the OBGYN. Practice that I went to. At the time, it was a private practice and it was three three doctors. Um, now they've unfortunately merged with um, a, a big company, um, which, you know, they were all older. It was hard. They couldn't get more private practice doctors to come in. But um, they also were so understanding of my anxiety that they were like, anytime you need an ultrasound, just call us. I just wish every every person could experience that like I unfortunately and fortunately had so many ultrasounds because of my cervix we were like monitoring it basically every other week so I almost had an ultrasound every two weeks which probably is what kept me like from having a complete meltdown um but they were really open to bringing me in anytime I needed. And I just think that that's the way it should be for everyone.
0: I like to tell people whenever I talk to them about like the time in between of having a miscarriage and trying to conceive again, and hopefully, you know, continuing in their next pregnancy, I tell people to make a list of what will make them feel safe in a pregnancy and bring that list to your doctor and say, are you willing to do this? And if they say no, then you go and find a doctor who is because your safety mentally and physically matters and yeah. feeling secure and safe in your pregnancy is, you know, it doesn't make it a hundred percent better. I think I, I still go down and saying pregnancy after loss is the hardest thing that I've yeah. ever done because it's just mentally and physically so difficult. Um, but finding a doctor that will listen to you is, is huge I say that. And then my last pregnancy, I had horrible doctors, but I know I
1: remember telling you to switch.
0: (laughs) I know. See that's I can give good advice. I just can't take it. Um, not, not good at it myself, but I'm also an avoider by nature. So like I avoid doing things that I need to do. Um, so that is funny. But, and I, I do want to also say, because you, you named uh, Fairhaven Health as the company that you work for, I feel like when people see Fairhaven Health, like in the fertility space, if they see influencers working with them, like now you see the person behind that. So, you know, there's heart that goes into those partnerships and into those influencers sharing them. Because I, I say that about you. And I say that about prove that like, you are the two companies in this space that I actually feel like you are trying to make a difference and it's about making a difference and not about advertising. It's not about pushing something. You know, we see like the same ad on TikTok of random companies that I could never remember the name of, but like you guys don't do things like that. You're very like meaningful about where you put your stuff. You're super giving. I know I've done so many giveaways with you where you've like given 10 winners things and it's just, (laughs) you guys care about, people having access to the education, the empowerment, but also the products that are actually going to help them. Um, and I know that in a lot of podcast episodes, I've brought up, brought up FH pro. Um, and so you guys are behind FH pro and I just, I want to make sure that in this episode, we mentioned how if people see fair Haven health talked about it's because you work on that end of things and you're so passionate about it from personal experience, but also, loving and believing in a company that actually cares about the fertility space cuz that's really rare.
1: It's so rare. I feel so lucky to have found this this place for I mean hundreds yes. of reasons um but yeah, I I feel like being able like since I run our social media and work with our partners and influencers like it's it's so fulfilling to um to, to help and, and, and sometimes like what I recommend isn't even our product, you know? I mean, like, I feel like that, like we want to find people that, that actually could benefit from our products. And so if someone, if it's, you know, too far down the path or they're doing IVF, like I just, we're there to support anyone even if they're not a customer. Like I just think that um, I'm so lucky to work for a place like
0: that. I'm lucky that you work there too, because you're what you're who reached out to me and introduced me to the products. And I still um, you know, obviously we can never say like, this is what healed this or fixed yes. this, but I am taking um supplements from Fairhaven Health, and I also um you know, we don't get uncomfortable here, but I love the the fertility lube, the baby dance. Uh, I found that to be like the more natural of the fertility lubes. And that was my favorite whenever going through fertility treatment, because that stuff will dry you out. Um, I also struggled with having fertile cervical mucus because I don't have a good level of estrogen or progesterone in my body is a mess. And so, um, you know, I took at the time it was a fertile CM that I took on its own, and I, I saw a big difference with that, and so that's why I will like go to my grave recommending uh, FH Pro because I, I do think it made a difference in my fertility cycles with my two living children.
1: Yeah, I totally agree, and I I took that, and I also used um, our baby dance lubricant too, and um, so if you're not using a sperm friendly lubricant, you
0: need to. Yeah. Yes. You and to. you guys have one that is not uh fertility necessarily fertility friendly. I don't know. It's it's the opposite because of the pH balance or something. Yes. I'm sure you could speak to that, but like not in trying to conceive. I still use Sage and I still think it's a great product. So yep.
1: that's a great postpartum. We're a
0: big fan. We're a yeah. big fan of Fairhaven
1: Health. <laughs> also- All those loobs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh Sarah, thank you so much. And I will link um to the products that we did talk about because I just want to make sure to, to share them. Um, but I'm so thankful to you and I'm so thankful to your friendship and for being here and for sharing your story. And I know that you told me that you're going to be sharing, um, Avery's birth story on the birth hour. And so I will link to that episode in the show notes in case anybody wants to hear more about your pregnancy and delivery with him. Uh, that way they can continue listening to your story. That
1: would be awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me.